0: Welcome to The Progressatorium, conversations about innovation in higher music education. I'm your host, Susan Eldridge. In this episode, Michael Stepniak tells us how collaboration is key to the culture and the student experience at Shenandoah Conservatory. They're so invested in the value of collaboration that each year they suspend their teaching for a whole week to host a festival of student curated performances that challenge their musicians, their dancers, and their theatre makers to work together. Michael shares how he seeks to hire faculty who have a touch of mischief and troublemaker about them, and how his willingness as a leader to challenge convention led him to co-author a book that scrutinises the arguments for and against radical change in music education, which illuminates areas of unavoidable challenge and areas of possibility and hope. Enjoy this conversation with Michael Stepniak. Welcome to the Progressatorium. I'm your host, Susan Eldridge, and I'm delighted today to be joined by Dr. Michael Stepniak, who's the Dean and Professor of Music at the Shenandoah Conservatory. Michael, good morning.
1: Good morning, and I'm delighted to be with you. Thank you for reaching out. These are extraordinary times. They're, in some ways, um, they're frightening, in some ways, they're... A time of ripe change um, exciting with promise um, uh, the rate of change is certainly fearsome and I'm, I'm delighted to be in the middle of these conversations and and be of support to my colleagues as as we navigate as we best can these times
0: as we as we just experience have have a have, a, have a sh- this glorious moment of shared experience that at, at no other time in our lifetime has everyone in the same moment been experiencing the same set of circumstances um, yeah. Michael can you tell us it's we're speaking in the in the middle of June um, what's happening at shenandoah at the moment within this within the conservatory
1: so uh, we're in our summer months here in North America um, that means we've navigated through the end of the academic year um, like every one uh, you know covid nineteen catapulted us into the sky, and we needed to build a craft to keep us um, in the air before crashing, um, turning to online instruction and learning and pedagogy and so on, and how to keep operations and culture at the same time, um, and um, and uh, having done that, uh, really turning our attention towards the coming academic year, and and at the same time now, um, taking on, too, some very extraordinary and transparent conversations about diversifying curriculum, um, about oppression, um, about history of racism, about white privilege. Um, and uh, and so I think at all levels, I see my students, my faculty, my staff, um, leaders at all levels tackling with the range of challenges, um, the scope and extent of which I I don't imagine uh, any cohort of people have previously um, um, faced at the same time. These range not only from pedagogy and curriculum, but technology, um, physical safety, um, health protocols, um, sick buildings, facilities, the movement of people, travel restrictions. Uh, I mean, it's an extraordinary list of things.
0: And so what is your, can you just give us the, the, the plan for recommencement for semester one of your next school year? What is, what is your plan for um, delivery for students?
1: Yes, so our institution um, and the broader institution is Shenandoah University um, is currently committed to beginning in person, but with a flexible approach, meaning that there's an understanding that some faculty or students um, will be able to be on 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 campus, and others will not for various reasons, and that that situation may change for individuals. Um, so we're we're adopting a an, an orientation to um to our courses, which is has become famous in this country as high flex, hybrid, flexible, meaning that at any point a faculty member can be teaching a course which has some students in the classrooms uh, and some students off. Away and um, receiving the lessons online, and then some, they're receiving online instruction synchronously, and others asynchronously. Um, so, uh, so it's um, it's uh, it's not as clean as those institutions that have chosen to go completely online. But also, we're one of those institutions that recognize we probably cannot also survive just simply not having any of that income from. From our residential community. um, And perhaps even more importantly, that at the core of our student population is the hunger for the personal relationship building and connection making that's only available. Um, And so with some extraordinary measures, it means the number of students per class um, is greatly changed. The number of students that that might be taught and how they're taught is, is, is changed greatly, but trying to facilitate that relationship building um, in physical space as much as possible. Um, so that's at least the plan. And of course, there's a lot of time between now and the end of August and, and we're hoping things won't get worse, that they'll get better as far as the pandemic goes. But, uh, but I, one of the, um, one of the very humble realizations that comes with, with being in this circumstance is that we are not the masters
0: of our environment
1: and never have been.
0: There's um, a really excellent health, public health researcher here in Australia who uh, just published an article a week or two ago saying that that the we will see more global health pandemics. Uh, This is not an isolated incident. And if we if we look at um, the SARS over the last ten or fifteen years, that this something of this magnitude is going to happen again. So, for us to um, like you're speaking about this high flex model of of, the suppleness and the adaptability in the delivery is something that we've got to be able to embrace. Cause I think parking, parking us in one of those two, completely asynchronous or asynchronous or connected together in the same physical space, either of those puts us in a box that gives us a little room to move when the next disruption happens yeah. to us. One of the things I noticed with this, the high flex model that you're speaking about, uh, I adopted that in my teaching quite early in the semester. I didn't wait for government health um, regulations. I said to the students, I'm concerned about this. So what we're going to do is um, give you the choice. I'm going to start streaming online to give you the choice to self-isolate early if you need to. Um, But we we allocated a bit of class time in that very first week to say to them, it's going to mean that this in-person experience that you spoke about that they value so much is going to change. And so how can we, as best we can, use the technology to maintain that? And, and the students came up with some really fantastic ideas for using the technology in um, really interesting ways. And just in the way the learning design of the class time was gonna to happen to ensure that we had that. And, and it's been we've been really lucky that we've had, you know, 100% turn up every week. And I think part of that's by, art, by acknowledging that the experience was going to be different, and asking how in this new mixed delivery, and when we do go completely online, how do we maintain the connection that you value so much in that class? And um, I think that's also really helped them. Um, a lot of the students we have in the school of music here are also teaching themselves, and that just modelling that simply said, simply allowed them to be able to ask their you know piano students who they were teaching at home, how can we best optimize this technology for your learning so it was um, yeah hopefully I'm sure that modeling's going on with you as well but simply asking the students to be active in the decision making around their learning has really been beneficial
1: yeah I think Susan what you point to is is one of the most fundamental things and that is that honesty requires empathy and also courage and so um, acknowledging what is known and what is unknown, and then inviting all that are involved to give input. Um, you know, what you've just outlined is, you know, at a class level is the the thing that I think schools should necessarily aspire to um, at the full institutional level. Um, and, and that is that, uh, you know, no one has the answers for this, but to the extent that that we approach it with some humility um a request for for participation input and uh acknowledging what we know what we don't know and then you know in a in a generous and supportive way giving people an opportunity to shape it together um we're more likely to um to to um to create something that that serves needs that is of value so so susan congratulations for for doing that yourself. Oh,
0: thank you, but I think also we we must be able to model to our students, they are going to be navigating some uncertain times that we can't even fathom what's going to come in, in the next 70 years of their professional life, 60 to 70 years. And we've got to be able to model to them this flexibility and I think the, the to 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 ask them how how they're going to be able to apply this um, thinking about how they're going to make decisions in uncertain times because, like you said, we don't. There is so much unknown. We can't uh, be fixed too fixed in 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 the way that the um, model is offered to them anymore. So, Michael, can you tell us the conservatory sits? You are, there's a range of different disciplines offered, um, not just music within your school. Yes. Can you tell us a little bit more about what makes what makes Shenandoah? Shenandoah.
1: Oh, uh, sure. Well, I mean, the most simple and obvious things are we're a comprehensive performing arts school, which means we have we have a total of about 27 degrees across music, dance, and theatre. Um, um, we have some of the the country's leading programs in in a number of areas, whether it's in music therapy, musical theater, or what have you. Um, And certainly in in some studio areas in music as well. Um, I I think there are some ways that we've increasingly stood out uh, among other similar comprehensive performing arts schools. Um, Perhaps one of the biggest ones is our, um, our immoderate commitment to collaboration. And um, you know, a few years back, we began something we called Student Performance Week, where we closed down the entire school, all undergraduate and graduate programs, and and students uh, created projects that were collaborative, interdisciplinary, and presented them in a full day festival at the end. Um, it's something that we modeled on a couple of of of, uh, of uh, uh, British uh, schools that had done something similar, um, but we've been doing that for a few years now, and and those are just some of the. Uh, You know, that's just one example of a number of things that we've been doing where we really give students a central place um, in our work and life, and then really supporting and enabling them to do some serious collaborative work. Um, I don't think there are any of my faculty um, who who would think that the future world is going to be anything other than more demanding of more collaboration. More flexibility, more creation of a new content, new product um, uh, you know i we were speaking of difficulty and challenging times, but honestly, I think the difficulty is with those of us who have really known primarily one dominant model, and there's there may be loss and and, and fear in losing that. But the point is, um, I don't see any student coming up um, through the work that they do, certainly in my conservatory, um, with anything other than excitement and joy when they they do the work that is natural, which is a musician partnering with a couple of dancers and a, a couple of other creative students and together creating an event that they have uh, marketed themselves and presenting that and shaping that and uh, getting it out on the road, um, you know, this is. Uh, I, I think there are some faculty that will necessarily see a grand era that's fading, um, but I think um, students are entering, I think, an extraordinary new time, and uh, are going to shape that that very well. Um, sometimes you know the majority of our work is getting out of their way Mm. Um, but um but but no so so yes it's a comprehensive performing arts school you know we've been around for quite a while 1875 um but uh but that focus on collaboration we're just implementing a a a new foundational course uh, for all of our entering undergraduates um into all of our bachelor's programs. And uh, together they're going to be taking a sequence of courses focused on well-being, uh, professional and personal identity, and all of these things that really have never been taught within a, in, within a performance community, but are absolutely central, have always been central and are even more, more central now. So I, I think we've, we've fast established a reputation as, an, as a, certainly an institution committed to innovation, creativity, um, and um, forward orientation.
0: And uh, also, we know that one of the most important things we can do for our students is allow them to create a body of work for themselves while they're with us. Uh, The danger is when we're stuck in a bygone era of um, music education being error detection uh, and and they leave with very little self-directed skills uh, and a very narrow band of skills. They're excellent at operating a piece of machinery. But beyond being told what to do they're actually quite useless. Yeah. Um, so what you're doing in investing them, investing in allowing them to take risks and fly and fail, because uh, both are going to happen in the project at one time, uh, is allowing them to, is, is empowering them to say that we trust, it, it, it's this it's this difference between um, this idea of emerging Oh, I can't do a thing because I'm still emerging. Well, at what point do you merge? Um, we, we, we are all still we're all still learning and growing. So, how do you present the best of what you have to do today, right now? Next year will be better. Tomorrow might be better. But investing in allowing them to take ownership of their own creative output and celebrating all the range that comes with that. So, when at, on a very practical level, when they leave, if they are um, looking to be performing artists, um, and they're going to, to venues or, or the presenters' showcases. They've got a body of work to show what they have already produced, and if they're going to be sort of self-managed, they've they've got that experience of all the project management that comes with putting on their own events. So it's a it's an absolutely crucial component of the training model is that we must invest in releasing the grip of control and allowing them to take ownership so that and, they live confident.
1: To, yeah, exactly. And down to the simplest of human interactions, how to deal with colleagues that haven't shown up on time to rehearsal. <laughs> you know,
0: these,
1: some of the most important lessons that they'll learn in projects that they're overseeing are, are those very small things. And um, that they're otherwise shielded from when you know professionals are in the class.
0: And I love more than anything uh, what I love when I work with students is is when they're running their running their collaborative projects and they come to me and they say, oh, "People are so terrible at responding to emails." I'm like, <laughs> and then and then you see the light go on in their head of, "Oh, I used to be that. Used to be me now as well." So really. Um, you know, when I'm working with students, I say to them out this this is this is a working laboratory of life. This classroom is a model. If class class starts at nine, class does not start at nine o three. If this was a meeting, we start at nine. And I, I at, at, when I work with them one to one, when I'm coaching them, is I say to them, if you are if we have a, if we have an appointment at nine o'clock and you are not at my door at eight fifty seven, I will not see you. Because there's there's little the the what happens when we when we don't let them take risks and ownership is within the traditional conservatory model there's little consequence for poor professional behaviour and they get away with a lot and then they get out in the working world and they wonder why their phone calls are not returned or their emails are not returned because it was poorly the email was poorly constructed and wasn't clear in what it was requiring. or their grant application doesn't get um, approved because they didn't comply with naming the document in a certain naming convention. But nobody's, nobody, nobody has allowed them to experience this within the training model, and they so they simply don't understand. So I think bringing those professional realities into the school and saying this is a working model, yeah, of what life is like when you are when you have finished here, it, it's just so crucial to them because there's no there's no argument about the perspective that playing a playing the cello very well is the only skill that you need there's there's, there's it's no one can argue that point anymore <laughs> um so michael you were talking about your faculty and yeah. and um just before we got an air we were talking a little bit about the 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 Volume and intensity of work that everybody's experienced. Can you tell us a little bit what's happening, or your thoughts about managing fatigue within our with our colleagues and you as a leader of a school, um, and about self care? Yeah. Um, this is a really difficult issue.
1: I don't think I've got, you know, whether I'm I'm talking with one of my associate deans, a program director, um, I was speaking with some of the student council leaders um, last week, um, and all of them report that very same thing. Um, there's an absolute understanding of the core work that's to be done, Um, But this is the very time when faculty and faculty leaders, student leaders, would have collapsed after the end of the academic year, which is intense at the easiest of times, and have a a summer uh, project that they're working on, taking some time away, um, getting ready for a summer music camp or what have you, um, and instead... What changed from fast paced to a furious pace has now changed to a frenetic pace. And, um, and, and, and this, is, this, is very, this is very difficult. We had a task force that began a little bit over a year ago, um, and it began uh, by focusing on student well being. And what quickly emerged, faculty and staff said, you know, it's not just them, <laughs> it's us too. And so it was renamed as the Being Well Together Task Force. And the idea is, you know, there's so much change. It's only increasing in its rate. We all need help. And, um, you know, ours is, a, is, a, is, is an institution that's lean on resources. And so we can't rely on the university proper to provide all support needed. And so how do we, how do, we do that? Um, I think we're being as creative as possible. Susan, I'm not sure it's enough.
0: And is that this message of self-care something that you are putting in your communications to your staff?
1: Yes. Yes, and, you know, it's something that's been very important for us to reinforce the critical importance. Of not checking emails in the weekends, in the evenings. If something is urgent, we know what each of our cell phone numbers are. Um, but trying to create space for, for personal well being, um, making sure that always we're modeling treat, treating people well when there is someone who's admitted to a, a difficult stretch or what have you. Um, this isn't a policy that wants. Puts in place mm, or initiatives mm-hmm, that one mm-hmm. puts in place. This is a. This is a. It's not just reimagining a lifestyle. It's it. It's shaping that reimagined lifestyle and modeling that and and doing that repeatedly, and and all the while adjusting where you see that there might be some practices that are ultimately not, um, n- not conducive to, to good health. Adjusting them. But, but but you know I, I keep thinking one of the things we've often said is we're not this isn't a sprint it's a marathon um, but that's difficult to maintain when the pace of running has moved to you know that sprint dash speed
0: and also if there's clearly there's public health issues and that the shifting landscape of the responsibility of the duty of care of the, the school from a public health perspective as well, and that shifting week by week over the past few months as well for you. So uh-huh. having simply having to deal with the volume of, um, the volume of macro and micro decisions about, just from a public health perspective for your yeah. faculty and students.
1: Yeah, you know, I mean, part of, so, when so the first major um time the covid-19 hit over here um it was clear it was going to be a real challenge to maintain operation just radically all of a sudden changing things but from my end what was going to be as critical was that culture piece which is all of a sudden when you have people who are dispersed um things become fragmented communication breaks down Um, People who have felt a little isolated will feel that way even more. And so, you know, in one way, we were fortunate in being in a performing, you know, a a very aggressive performing community because I could make sure that there was a core staff who was reutilized from, they would have been at the center of supporting and enabling performance production physically. And instead, they turned to a whole suite of things that enabled us to maintain community. Um, you know, initiatives where we did a, a, a weekly community gathering and and video feeds and so on, and trying to do that at a high level. Um, everything from that to um, you know immediately going to um, our virtual faculty happy hours, um, which which faculty actually you know as the end of the academic year approached, they realized they wanted to keep going mm-hmm. to uh, to maintain community. Um, but um but 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 this is hard stuff and you know one of the challenges has been when you're faced with the crisis all of us can dig down even more deeply and then rise to the occasion um but it's felt but these past months have felt like that's happened repeatedly and it's not going to go away and in fact you know as you were mentioning earlier the chance of of something's getting worse um, when it comes to on the pandemic and health side you know is 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 serious so um this is this is difficult i mean there are many institutions that won't won't navigate this well and it's not because they didn't have good will mm. or clever people it's because this is this is really rough
0: and I think also what it has exposed is this: the, the 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 schools where the culture of caring for the caring for people is really strong, uh, and where there's, a, as you've mentioned, the word quite a few times, a sense of community and cohesion, and those where there's a, a the the dominant model is hierarchical and. Um, and there's no sense of community or cohesion. And and particularly for our school, for schools of music, I don't, I don't know um, what the statistics are in the US, but in Australia, the majority of the staff working are part-time, contract, fixed term. So there's not a body of staff that are used to seeing each other five days a week in the staff room. The community, the teaching community is very fractured. to to, to begin with uh and i mean you know that that's a whole discussion around how we got to this point in in our talent management and in in the in the building and sharing of knowledge within our community but there's those who i think those as you mentioned who who will navigate this with great empathy and care are those who had that to start with uh this is so i you know i see that being a really uh, major issue in how schools are going to come out the other side of this is what they it's, it's what they had um valued before they went in so michael you, you spoke about using your production staff um pivoting them and understanding that the the work that they were focused on was was uh not going to be possible and also looking at well what are the resources that this pandemic what is now free, what is now freed to us to use because um, um, our, our activities changed. And this idea of not attempting to do exactly the same thing in a less good way because it's online, but instead what might this allow them to do that best serves our community. And that's um, part of the sort of underlying theme of a, of a book you wrote last year called Beyond the Conservatory Model, which is about reimagining the training rather than tweaking the training um for readers who or for listeners who are not familiar can you tell us a little bit about the book that you co-authored with um Peter Suriton please
1: yeah uh you know it feels like about five years have passed since then um I I was delighted to get you know in, in invited to to potentially write and and as I thought about that project, I knew that there was one of my dearest colleagues and friends, Peter Surraton. I knew that I wouldn't be able to write this without constantly going back to him and asking for his opinion on some things um and um and so he he very kindly a- agreed to be a secondary author and um and it was um it was it was quite something to write um i've I've always had I've always had a somewhat loving and skeptical relationship with my own discipline, and um, and so to have a chance to uh, speak to that honestly, directly, um, you know, to acknowledge what is extraordinary and what is is grand about the classical music performance tradition, um, as it was shaped you know 18th into 19th and early 20th century and then in a way that that um that wasn't self-aggrandizing or dismissive speak honestly about how does how does this field move forward in a way that's actually truly honest to what's happening in the marketplace with our audiences um with the interests of of uh, the next generation of musicians um and and to also speak honestly about that which has which was always weak in the model that became dominant um you know a definition of excellence which didn't include personal voice um you know how far could one move away from what is the centre of music making, which is connecting from one heart to another um but to um to place technique and virtuosity at a pinnacle point above those things, I think ultimately is an inhuman a thing, and so this book sought to um in a <laughs> in a fairly simple way sought to outline some of the main concerns um and also acknowledge why change would be so difficult, uh, why the higher education field first of all is very resistant to change to shifts in paradigms, um, and then why classical music as a, a as a culture um, itself um, is even more conservatory con- conservative and resistant to change and um, and then to outline. You know, perhaps some recommendations, although those were almost half hearted because recommendations aren't needed if people understand Mm -hmm. the Mm -hmm. issue. And um, uh, so, uh, yeah, the response was, the response was, um, was, was, has been very positive, very enthusiastic. Um, But, um, you know, this change might be forced on people regardless of
0: any argument. You mentioned the word uh, I think heartfelt or heartstrings was the the word you just used, and I, if I had to use two words to describe the book, it would be loving hmm. and also irreverent in a way. And I, it's just such. Obviously, we're on the same page. And people listening to this podcast are on the same page, but it's such. There's such care for the form and care for all of the talent that it takes the teaching talent and within schools and the students within the schools and it's just that's just what jumped out at me when i read this off the page was just the love for what you do and who you for whom you do it and also the kind of tugging at the hair frustration of why is it so why does it need to be stuck in this you know it's not serving anybody well anymore it used to be a very effective way. It's no longer an effective way. Why are we even having a conversation about change at all? Um, so I, I just I can't really can't recommend it now. It's very very quick, very easy to read. It's it's not a it's not a um an academic publication full of words with 57 syllables. It's it's very approachable.
1: Well, I'm glad Susan, I'm glad that came through. And in part I think you know, Peter was also a, a, always a help with that, too. You know, I grew up so Polish-Australian, but skeptical. And he grew up, and he's, you know, one of those last generations of those Soviet state sponsored You know, he was the youngest member of the Moscow soloist and so on. So he grew up in that virtuosic, you know, Russian context and came to the United States. And so we're both intensely aware of of the the joy of rigor you know and the beguilement of virtuosity um and more and and at the same time you know very much we're in the same place where you know there's an there's an honesty that's missing from the undertaking and also from the educational context in which this discipline continues to be promoted and, um, and how to add and strengthen the honesty of that conversation, I think, probably was our greatest ambition. Mm.
0: And that's absolutely what shines through. It's just, it's, it's the honesty, but it's also the, the love and the sceptic, as, as being a fellow Australian, the, um, the scepticism we have, not, not in a tearing things down way, but in really assessing, does this work? What are we trying to achieve? Is this effective anymore? And perhaps you know, we are in a very young nation in Australia, so we don't have the hundreds of years of history of perhaps the, you know the European classical model, but the, uh, the, the ability to, to, to look at the practices. Yeah. from a very rigorous academic point of view, from, teach, from pedagogy and curriculum development, and also with an eye through the glass door of the building that we live in, to the, to the world in which our students are living in, and accepting the responsibility we have for, prepare, for preparing them to thrive on and off the stage. So it's a really excellent, a really very well-researched, very comprehensive, very approachable primer, for, I think, for if, maybe if there are people listening who are looking to advance this conversation within their school, it would be a great thing to share amongst the faculty, maybe to see who are the change curious. You know, maybe people listening are in a school and maybe they're the the oboe teacher, perhaps in a very traditional model, and they're looking to try and build uh, a community of practice of people interested in transformation of the experience. So this it would be, the go-to piece to to share with others.
1: Thank you, and I hope it is of value, and 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 maybe ultimately, if it's good enough, there'll be something in there to offend everyone.
0: <laughs> is that um, you? You need to get some pull quotes then for the book, Michael. Of, <laughs> um, of I was nine stars out of ten offended. <laughs> 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 um, so, Michael, there were three. There were three major findings, and then some recommendations. So, the, the three findings were um, about the, three findings about the the reason that changes. Um, in your words, complex rather than complicated. So, complicated being the analogy you used was it's complicated to put a man on the moon. Um, but complex being something that has lots of inter- inter- interrelated and in- inter- interconnected parts. So it's a bit like, it's hard to take the spaghetti sauce off the spaghetti once you've stirred it through. Um, yeah. So the-, the Raise th- a teenager. <laughs> exactly. Um, the three findings were firstly, that leaders in schools are simply overwhelmed with, and, and this was published almost 12 months ago, leadership in schools are simply overwhelmed with the day-to-day tasks of running the school. Secondly, change within any higher education, uh, complex and slow. And thirdly, that as a discipline, we are resistant to being examined. Um, Do you still feel that that's sort of a fairly good overview of the challenges that we're facing?
1: I think so. And Susan, if there's anything that I increasingly suspect, I increasingly suspect that those factors will be irrelevant when a new generation just grabs hold and pushes things in a different direction so um, you know i think where i've seen change what i've seen is people that have tended the the garden where they are where they've made space for change um or have you know a group of people that have just gone in a slightly different direction but this idea of how do we you know pull everyone and 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 uh, all schools all programs that do this and try to nudge them in this direction um i think increasingly our students are going to vote with their feet mm. they're going to go places where they feel you know what my becoming a musician meaning not so not just how well will i Sing perform when it comes to technique, but to what extent can I share something that I really wish to share? Um, and the, to the extent that they find that in one school or one community versus another, they'll go there. And so I think that those those um institutions, and it doesn't matter the size of their name, um, I I think students will vote with their feet increasingly and will be attracted to in those programs where they have opportunity to not only pursue something with rigor and purpose but also something that really directs, directly supports and enables their authentic voice they will go there they will be there those places will thrive and so i i i think i'm i'm not certain that there can be large scale change of the type that you know our major national or international organizations would wish um i think those of us um who happen to be a little more subversive than others or you know are ourselves a bit of tempered radicals or what have you um we'll continue to give space for those that are against the status quo um and be allies to each other and but but i think the momentum and change is is beyond our you know control
0: our mm, i agree and i think we, we will probably just see a consolidation of the market there will there will be schools who uh, will choose not to change and and have the consequence of that enacted upon them one of the things i found really interesting michael in preparing for this podcast was that the, there's a very interesting distinction between schools of music who are doing really excellent work in putting the student experience first and telling the world about it, that their website looks fantastic and, and the joy and the impetus of, of the work that the students are doing being front and center of the website. And there are schools who are doing that, but you can't find it. And that's what I've actually found really interesting is that Shannon Doer, and also we spoke recently with Brian Pertle from Lawrence.
1: Oh Brian. The the, the
0: the the student work jumps out from the website. And that that is what students want to see. And there are schools for whom the faculty sit on the website, and that is what you see. And so um it's really even, even been interesting seeing, seeing the disconnection between people who I know who are doing excellent work, really innovative, forward-thinking, progressive, but, but the website looks exactly like uh, the 1900 schools that haven't changed very much. So that, that's been a very interesting um, experience, actually, is when, when I've, people have been recommended uh, to me to be guests on the podcast, and I've been digging, doing a bit of research, and um, as an observer they look the same as everybody else and then when then then when you know they've been recommended and you dig a little bit deeper uh, you can find that but that's a whole other story is the communications piece around ensuring that everybody knows what we stand for who we stand for what we value and that that we've got to invest in the communications part and the website part in telling that to people because that's what's going to change the culture. Students will see that and they will either be um, clearly attracted, this is for me or it's not for me. And then, you know, that that's uh, improving the candidacy of students who you have coming through. They're there already wanting to share the journey that you're on. And then obviously out the other side, strengthen your alumni and the graduate, graduate outcomes that you're going to have as well. So yeah, it's been very interesting looking at the yeah the websites of schools of music so should the shenandoah one just what jumps out is the joy and the same thing with lawrence what jumps out is the students not the building not the orchestra not the faculty but the students, the individual student voices, and even the words of the students, the text of the website is the students' words about the quality of the journey and the quality of the experience that they're having at that school of music. So, um, that might be a, a top tip for anyone that's listening. <laughs> if that's a, if that's a part of uh, a, a part of their story that they hadn't thought uh, too deeply about, that that's actually really crucial.
1: And. I I don't know if there's much I would add to that, Susan, but I I would just reiterate one point from my perspective, which is this isn't about being student-centered. I think it's about honoring the humaneness of our work. It's about relationships. It's about um, honesty and courage and failure. And um, it's not about the system. It's not about process. Mm. Um, and, you know, I'm delighted that that comes through. I'm not sure that that's been intentional unless there's some some hidden super plan for marketing that I'm not aware of. Um, but uh, but maybe that's a natural byproduct of when you're focusing on things that matter. You know, my, my faculty are critically important you know but i hire people who who are themselves in a really honest journey whether as scholars or as performers um they're modeling for their students um what it means to be making one's way in this world now at this point in a way that's honest and courageous um you know and um But how extraordinary a chance to celebrate students whose own integrity of journey is reinforced and then further catapulted by that example. And so I think it's natural then to really celebrate those students and their their understanding. Interesting. Michael, it's been
0: an absolute delight hearing your insight and expertise today and hearing about what's happening at Shenandoah and the care that you are extending to all that are lucky enough to work with you so I hope that you yourself are exercising great self-care in this time and um, we wish you all the very very best for navigating your preparations for the beginning of the next teaching year and we can't wait to see what's going to happen ahead in Shenandoah so thanks for your time today.
1: Thanks very much. And I I miss that beautiful country and hope you uh, certainly stay safe and all those around you.
0: Thank you, Michael. Thanks so much for joining us for the Progressatorium. I hope you've enjoyed today's episode. You can find links to anything we've mentioned in the show notes. And if you've enjoyed the conversation and it's been valuable, then help us by please spreading the word and sharing this conversation.